Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Black Noise by FM. If this is your first time to our show, welcome. We like to talk about progressive rock music. It's kind of our thing here. A uh, fun, exciting, unique subgenre of rock music. And if you haven't already, tap the subscribe button so you won't miss any of our future episodes. You can also follow us online everywhere with the link in the description. And lastly, we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for continuing to make this show continue to be a reality. You can become a special Prognotes patron by also visiting the link in the description or by going to patreon.com slash prognotes. Now, before we move any further, we have a wonderful guest who is joining us which is our spotlight host, Rogan. What's up, dude? Hey. Yeah, you're your on, your only Canadian friend on here. Our only Canadian friend who just happens to be the spotlight host, no real connection there, is joining us today. But uh, Rogan, you're here, uh, one, because you're just helping us review this show or view this album and uh, by this Canadian prog rock band. But also at the same time, you also have some news for everybody who is listening to the show. Would you mind sharing with them what's going on with Spotlight right now? Yes. So by now in May, when this episode releases, uh, Spotlight should have its very own feed and all the episodes moved over to there. Um, And what that's going to do is it's going to allow me a little more freedom to bring on more artists without conflicting with uh, like the main show and scheduling and stuff. So we're going to start off, I think, with like every two weeks trying to get a new interview on. And then uh, if there is enough interest from there, we might go to like a weekly schedule or like a three weeks on, one week off sort of thing. We're going to play jazz with it. I'm so excited about this too because of the uh, the great yeah. amount of people who want to be on Spotlight, which is awesome. And the new bands that I've been hearing about and just getting to hear from, uh, there's always something about hearing personally from the band members themselves that you can just connect better with the music that way, even if you've never even heard it before in the first place. So um, you're doing great. It's it's awesome. I love I love listening to the episodes that you send me over. So it's great. Yeah. And like the great thing about Prague too is like really anything could fit into that. So I've like been. I've been interviewing bands that are like maybe not like necessarily the forefront of Prague, but they have those elements and they're still like huge to have on and wonderful people. Yeah. And all over the world. Yeah. That's the other thing too. All over the world. So new bands, older bands, like you had Leprous on there, but then you also had another band from, uh, or like, like you had Kairos as well, but then, uh, something like Charlie Robbins and his project. And then, uh, Pleximans, which that guy was super nice too. Yeah, he's awesome. Name. Spotlight, everybody. Go and join. Uh, tap on the subscribe button for Spotlight. You can find the link in the description and it'll take you straight over there so you can never miss any of Rogan's episodes. But moving forward with Black Noise and FM. Black Noise is the debut album by the Canadian prog rock band FM that was released in 1977. They hail from Toronto. Uh, the album contains about 40 minutes of music across eight tracks. And this is not to be confused with the British band of the same name. I don't know if you guys had that problem when you were doing research on this thing. I was running into all kinds of, yeah, you know, yeah. Rogan's like, no, I didn't have that problem mainly because maybe I live in Canada. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Canadian internet then finds him to only Canadian interests. 
Canadian <laughs> bands. The geography is just limiting. <laughs> well, like England and Canada are pretty much the same thing anyways, right? <laughs> they basically are, I guess, right? I don't know. That's hilarious. So it's nice to have a fellow Canadian help us review uh, review this album. And uh, But the the lineup of FM, and I just want to throw this out there. This is a trio. I'm another Canadian trio. Hashtag Rush. Are they a trio? Tea Party? Um, Rush? Yeah. Yeah, they were a trio. Rush was a trio? Oh, Rush. Were they a trio? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Mm. they were a duo. I thought they were like Tears for Fears. (laughs) I don't know. They had that violin guy on there. (laughs) (laughs) One song in 1982. Oh, Oh, man. Okay, anyway. The lineup of FM includes Cameron Hawkins, who is the lead vocalist. He also plays piano and synths, like the mini Moog. Uh, he also played bass as well as played sequencers. Then we have Jeff Pluman, or otherwise known as Nash the Slash, uh, who plays electric violin, electric mandolin, glockenspiel, vocals, and uh, also did some other sound effects. He unfortunately died in 2014, I found out. And then we also have Martin Deller, who plays drums and percussion. And so uh, in progressive terms, Canada has really been ruled by rush really uh probably safe to say that but there are certainly other canadian bands out there who were pushing the progressive rock sound and the latter half of the 70s saw a rise of similar bands um some such as saga uh or sega whatever saga i think which they got i think they got big in the 80s in europe uh, there's also another band called max webster uh, they actually did a collaboration with rush and had an album in 1980 and then prism who won two Juno Awards, strangely enough. I thought that was interesting, which is like, correct me if I'm wrong, Rogan, but that's like Canada's Grammy, right? Yeah, yeah. A Juno Award. Okay, yeah. Prism and, rocks. Uh, Prism, yeah. And then they Prism. had a hit. They got they had a hit in 1977, being that spaceship superstar. Oh, yeah. Spaceship yeah. superstar. Dude, I, I kid you not, I think that song is like the, the, like the song for NASA. I think they like took that song. I just, I can't. That's <laughs> I can't. Uh, another band named Zon, Z-O-N. Another band called Etcetera. Uh, Garfield. This is just to name a couple who mixed some of the progressive flourishes, I guess you could say, of the 70s greats, combining with a little bit more of, I would call, a commercial sound. Uh, one of these bands, however, that kind of fits into that bag was FM. And at least for the next half decade, we're really one of the prime exponents of Canada's pomp sound, I guess you could say, thanks to albums such as this one. Uh, so without going any further, uh, Drew, would you mind uh, bringing in some reviews, what, what people got to think of this of this record critically? I'm surprised you didn't mention Triumph as like a Canadian Triumph? trio. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about Anyways. that. Anyways. All right. <clears throat> Black Noise. FM. <laughs> Uh, it made number 48 on Rolling Stone's 2015 list of the 50 greatest progressive rock albums of all time. So it made the top 50. Wow. Uh, I think Phasers on Stun that we opened the episode with was kind of the big hit that, that came off of this record. Um, yeah. Has an aggregate score of 4.11 out of 5 on Prague Archives. Um, 27% gave it a perfect score. 49% gave it a 4 out of 5. So 76% of people think that this is pretty good like you should definitely take a listen to it 
One user gave it a four out of five um, and said, this is much closer to art rock than anything else and has a lot of late 70s feel to the keyboards. These guys were a bit ahead of their time in that respect. There's no one thing that stands out as truly exceptional, except maybe the fact they managed to put together 40 minutes of excellent rock music without ever touching an electric guitar. That's a feat in and of itself. But the total package is a little better than very good. And I doubt if too many people would be disappointed if they picked this record up. So four stars is a good rating and appropriate. Enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. They justify their review and appropriate. This is appropriate. Um, that mandolin quote, though, is is so true. Very that is, much that so. is a pretty impressive feat. I'll, I'll give him I, that much. I listened to this album two times before I read and realized there weren't any guitars on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, what? Yeah. A mandolin is all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It still makes some so, really intriguing cool. music and very uh, inviting music yeah. without an electric guitar. Which, I mean, you can do that, but in the realm of rock, I mean, that is just such a ubiquitous instrument and music in general, but particularly rock. And so the fact that they were able to do that was, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of the cornerstone of that genre. So absolutely. So, you know, another user on Prague Archives, I won't read the whole thing, but they described this album as a minor classic, which Hmm. that's that's a bit of a, a lukewarm reaction, but it's positive nonetheless. And I have to say that I think is for me. And my takeaway of this album, my overall impression, I, that it, that seems pretty appropriate to me. This is a minor classic. Hmm. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. I like that term. It makes me I kind of like that term. But I kind of agree with it. Yeah. Um, someone gave it a very positive review on Amazon Music. So Amazon users, all 56 of them, gave it an aggregate score <laughs> of 4.7 out of 5. So, Seventy-five percent of them gave it a perfect score, but if you're leaving reviews on Amazon for this, you're probably seeking out this album and you like it already. <laughs> well, man, exactly. I used to love this record. Where can I find this? Amazon. Okay, it's like ten percent of the people in Canada, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, California yeah, has a point. higher population than Canada. Yeah. Did you know this? This is seriously? It does. I had no idea. Yeah, we're it like does. 50 million wow. up here. Yeah. Anyways. Wow. Anyways. Anyway. All right. So I I I'm just, I thought that was hilarious too. That it was just like super positive on him. So it's like, yeah, because you're looking for the music. However, <laughs> I will read this this review uh and see what you guys think of it. FM is yet another band that has been unfairly relegated to the far corners of prog rock niche, which is too bad. This 1977 release is a great example of highly melodic and synth-heavy progressive rock. In a manner similar to another, much more famous prog band from Canada, FM is a trio. The three musicians sorry, on this album include Cameron Hawkins, as you mentioned, Martin Deller, and Nash the Slash. All of the musicians are very good and really crank out, crank out some tight performances. Overall, this is well-written and performed progressive rock that sounds a great deal like the prog band England, not to mention UK, especially from the Danger Money album from 1979. Melodies and harmonies abound, and synthesizer sorry, and synthesizer use is very heavy. In fact, there are points where a low-frequency left-hand synth bass line is used in place of the real bass guitar. The vocals are excellent and work well with the predominantly upbeat nature of the music. Although many of the songs have vocals, there are some excellent tracks uh, as well that include fantastic jazz, rockish pieces like ours that feature excellent soloing on the violin, mini moog, and drums. 
all in all, this is a great album that is recommended to all fans of melodic progressive rock. Yeah, I like that review. Actually, yeah. I know. It, I mean, I know that it was extremely positive. But as I as you're reading that, I was thinking about the the three members in their regard to their instruments, and not one of them really stands out among the rest. Mm-hmm. Like the synthesizers are great. Um, yeah. The drummer's phenomenal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, the mandolin and the electric violin playing from Slash is is all pretty tight mm-hmm. and and good. Like there's not anything that just kind of stands out or you listen to this band because of this. They're mm-hmm. all like they're a well-rounded, balanced band, mm-hmm. I guess you yeah. could say. Absolutely. Yeah. The the one reference that they didn't mention in that review that I, I I sort of get a sense of, like I get big like Alan Parsons project vibes from okay. Oh, okay. yeah. parts so, of this okay. album. Yeah. That's a great segue. Um here we go. I want to just I, I I won't read a specific review, but I saw several reviews when I was looking at this online that referred to this album as art rock and we've talked about the connection between art rock and prog on our tales of mystery and imagination episode yep which is episode 10 if 10. you haven't listened to yeah. it yet go check it out um that was a two part of our top 10 it's one of our one of one of the that episodes in our top 10 most listened it was a two-part episode time. we left it on a yep. very to be continued note in part one and trust me you're gonna dive right into part two oh. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, <laughs> but uh yes it's it's funny that that you you say that it it sounds like Alan Parsons project because when I think of Alan Parsons, I immediately think art rock in that sense, mm-hmm. or some people might yes. say yacht rock, but, um, <laughs> but anyways, nice. um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think that all of the reviews that I had read online, I don't think anyone gave it like anything particularly bad or anything like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's in the 50 top 50 prog rock albums. Uh, and this, I didn't get any sort of, even though it was lower on the list, I didn't get a visceral reaction like I did with Pawnheart, with Pawnhearts. Um, mm-hmm. so, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so, like, this is just so much better than Pawnhearts and Pawnhearts beats it out on the Rolling Stones list. And that I don't, I don't, I will never get it and cut me off, please, because I'm about to, I, I, all right, all right. You. So we'll, we'll go ahead Hold and me detour back. here. Here, let's go ahead and tour this Hold one right back, here. Hold me back, man. Hold me back, bro. Hold me back. Hold me back. Oh, oh. man. That's um, pretty anyways. funny. Well, I mean, in, in in regards to that, though, we were talking about just lists. That's how we found this album in the first place, right, Drew? That, that, yeah. I mean, how do we come? Have, how do we stumble across this album? Okay. I, 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 got, I got this right here. I, I, was, I was sent this by my father. Shout out to my dad. Um, what culture put out a I list? Hi, dad. Um... <laughs> Uh, what culture put out uh, a list of the the ten best progressive rock albums of all time? And I'm sure there's you know there's hundreds of these lists. Everyone has a list of their own, yeah, right? Everybody's got. But a this list. was interesting. Right? He linked it to me. Said, "Hey, I thought this would be fun for you to see." Um, and I think we've covered every band on that list. Yeah, the list well, every that they, album that they had. Well, we didn't do every album. We haven't done every album. We we've done every- a lot of the albums, but at the very least, I'm fairly certain we've done every band. I had heard that was on that list. All of the, I mean, you know, p- people in there. There was there was King Crimson. There was yes. There was Gentle Giant. And, and we've covered them, right? This was on the list. Out of all yeah. of these prog giants and prog pioneers that you hear whenever you know you're affiliating this this genre with a certain band, you know those ones that come to mind. We have covered number six was this album. I had never heard of it. Had never seen the album cover. 
And I'm like, I've never even heard of this band, like at all, at all. So yeah. I thought it would be fun to cover on the show for fun. Do, do you want to take a quick detour and 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 see what was on this list? Go ahead. Yeah, I thought that would be because fun. I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, I, I know that all of them. I'm pretty sure all of them on there. That's why we, we were looking at it. And it's yes. like this is the only this is the one only that one that we haven't done as far at. at least the band. Um, number ten we have done on this show: Future Days by Can. Number nine, In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson. Number yep. eight, Close to the Edge by Yes. Yep, done that. All three of those we've done. Number seven is Octopus by Gentle Giant, which we have not uh, covered just yet. Okay, yep. Number six, as I said, is Black Noise, what we're covering today. Number five is Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Okay. Number four yeah. is Hemispheres by Rush. Thank you kindly. Haven't done that one yet, but we've done a lot of Rush. Yeah, yet. but it's my favorite. Uh, number three is Thick as a Brick, Jethro Tull. We have done that. Number two is The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Yes, that yep, tracks. Episode two. Um, number one is Moving Pictures by Rush. Yep, episode 15. Um, also, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm not trying to dog on these, whoever made this list. How did Genesis or ELP not end up on this list? None of their albums ended up on this list. Those are I mean, two highly top 10 influential. Is pretty hard. And, yeah. and innovators of the genre and it's in its nascent, you know, stage and it's very beginning stage. Anyways, thought that was really weird that they didn't have that on there. Sorry. Maybe they're a little bit more fan of a, uh, of the space rock ish and the, the synthesizers and stuff like yeah, that. I can see that. Maybe I can with, see that. With, with the inclusion of like, yeah. Go like ahead. Ryan. Myself. I'm not really like a huge fan of like the seventies era of prog stuff. Like I, I prefer it much when it gets into like the eighties sort of era, but then like there are like space element prog bands like this that are in the seventies. And that more draws me into right. to these guys. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's how we found it. That's how we're here. That's, that's how why Black we're Noise here. came to our our attention. And so that's we were like, I'm "Well, here. we've done all of yeah, exactly. That's why Rogan's here." <laughs> you know. And we were like, "Hey, we do a Canadian, Canadian album we without a Canadian, Canadian guy." <laughs> uh, okay, here. Let me give you guys some history on uh, on FM real quick before we kind of jump into uh, the music. Um, because FM may not be known by some. I, I, I know. At least I'd never heard of them before doing this album. And so uh, here's some brief history on the band. 1976, Jeff Pluman or Nash the Slash, and Cameron Hawkins were both essentially just spinning their wheels, going nowhere, uh, while jamming with a Toronto band called Clear. Uh, they decided to form their own group. They started incorporating Hawkins' keyboard and his bass guitar and Pluman's electric mandolin and violin into an avant-garde progressive rock sound, and that's how FM was born. So it was born as a trio, or as a duo. They played their first real live gig at a local art gallery, and before long, their live performances developed to the point of adding the drummer Martin Deller in February of 77. The attention uh, they were getting caught the ears of CBC, which is Canada's national public broadcaster, I believe, uh, some of the executives there, and they were invited onto their music variety show called Who's New? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, this in turn led them to recording their debut album later that year. It's produced by Keith Whiting. The band assumed it would be a conventional release, but in actuality, only 500 copies were pressed, 
and the CBC, CBC executives only announced its existence during several radio shows and chose to sell it by mail order. Kind of <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Kind of sucks. So uh, later versions of the album were released with a different album cover on several other labels. But before the end of the year, Nash the Slash left to pursue a solo career, which is when he started wearing bandages on his face. If you don't know about that, just go and look it up. Uh, he stated the uh, addition of the drummer, or just stated the addition of a drummer made the music too commercial yeah. for his liking. I saw that. I, yeah, I, <laughs> which is ironic because Black Noise, I think, is widely considered the only non-commercial thing that he's ever done with yeah. FM or solo. Um, nonetheless, once he was gone, the band set out looking for a replacement, someone who can play both the electric mandolin, and the violin, and then they hired a guy named Ben Mink. Uh, their 1980 release, City of Fear, was the band's first time in the studio with the producer Larry Fast, which he actually worked with Peter Gabriel. And then from there, which was in 1980 and 81, they set out on the road backing up Rush for their moving pictures tour. Oh, dang. So, yeah. So they backed up Rush for their moving pictures tour. Mink left to pursue a solo career in the spring of 1983, and it opened the door for Nash to return since he wanted, he was talking with his old bandmates. He was talking with Cameron and Martin about doing a tour together since basically their audiences were about the same. Uh, but just as they had begun working on a new album in 1984, Passport Records, who they were assigned to, just closed their doors for good, leaving the band high and dry. But Nash was now with Quality Records, and he convinced the label executives into signing Hawkins and Deller, and the result was actually a Nash the Slash solo album with the other two on the record. So basically <laughs> FM, but it's a Nash the Slash record, and what would turn out to be his most critically successful album ever, American Band Ages, which is, eh. They were on that. <laughs> They were on that. Those were the two guys. <laughs> uh, I, I wish you had a clip of that. I know, play. I know. Go look it up. American Band Ages or Bandages. It's a play on the on the words there. Uh, but the funny thing and the interesting thing to note here is that, you know, they did a tour. And by the time that they did the tour with Rush, Nash Slash was gone. Ben Meek was in. The funny thing to note here is that Ben was invited to play electric violin on the Rush song, Losing It. Yeah. In 1982 for the album Signals. Yeah. And he also contributed strings to the song Faithless on the 2007 record Snakes and Arrows. He also, yeah. Ben Mink, also other connections. He co-wrote, produced, and played guitar on My Favorite Headache, which is oh, Getty yeah. Lee's yeah. solo yeah. album yeah, 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 yeah. in 2000. And uh, he also performed with Rush in Toronto on the R40 tour. Yes. So that's the connection there. Uh, the Moving Pictures tour, he was a part of the band. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Many ties to the Canadian prog rock world. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, which, by the way, that electric violin solo and losing it, dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> so it? good. So like these guys, it feels like they just did not have luck with record labels because I think like three or four of them that they were a part of like fully went bankrupt. That sounds about right. Because I mean, even quality even did. Got, like passport right? quality did. Yeah, I don't think that uh, their first around. one too. There was one before passport. I don't know that one, or maybe I do. Well, it, it it's it's interesting there that yeah they they didn't look out and their their career is kind of sporadic, right? Like I, I feel like they kind of had this 
this burst and this surge when they were first starting out from, you know, 1976, 1977, that kind of era up to yep. like 1980. Right. And then they stopped and then they put one out five years later in 85 and then another one in 87 and then waited a long time. And then another one in 2015, as far as studio cuts are concerned, like original new yep. studio material. So, I, you know, that's, they, they, they really didn't put out that much. I mean, they did when they started and they started out, you know, you could, you could see they put out one like every year, right. Year after year, they put out a record and all that, but uh, then it kind of puttered out. And I, I hate to say this, I hate to say this because no no artist wants to have this term applied to them. But this feels like a one-hit wonder. This feels like a one-hit wonder. Yes, they did other stuff, but this was kind of really the only thing that people have paid attention to. Uh, now, if there are any yeah. like diehard FM fans out there, hey, I salute you and there you go. But I don't think many other people... They, they didn't catch the public eye besides this. So... That that's just interesting to me that this is kind of like, yeah, this is the album you're going to listen to and you probably won't listen to any of the other stuff. Yeah. From what I've heard from some people who have been talking about them just in interviews and stuff like that, I hear that there is one other FM record that is pretty good, but the other ones, once they got into the eighties are pretty darn bad. Mm. Like you just, they just say, stay away from them. And these were, this is coming from fans of FM that I was listening to talk about well, this album. And I heard one of the, one of the albums after this, I think it's direct to disc. Yes, that's the oh crap. I think that was an eighty one. No, it's one of the earlier ones. Was I'm fairly not? certain. I'm fairly certain. Direct I it was to disc. Second one was yeah seventy eight. City of it was yeah, an earlier that's... one. It was it was oh, the second. It was the one right before. after. That's before City of Fear. <clears throat> so, um, and it was good. There were some moments in there that I thought were were really solid, fun moments. And then there's stuff that just kind of meanders and maybe i'm mm -hmm. i'm segueing too quickly into our our impressions about this initially from a musical standpoint no i, I mean i think it's we're kind of heading down that track anyway but a thought that came to my mind as well is you okay like you tour for for rush you're backing rush after they're i mean they're already successful very successful and then they just released moving pictures which went gold very quickly and i mean were they just i don't know did they not i don't know was it the mandolin electric violin thing and I mean, the, the crowd of rush does, does that translate the people who are coming to see rush is that is that something because i mean it is kind of a, a hard quote-unquote record i guess you could say with some of the 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 crunchiness and the grittiness of the mandolins and and stuff like that but i don't know i'm just trying to think of like how do you tour with rush and not continue to go on maybe it was just because they just didn't i don't know i don't know if it was just a a crowd thing a publicity thing or if it was just their ability to write <laughs> good music i know <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do this i don't know i don't know what i mean what else could you say there i don't know well and maybe maybe part of the lack of success was they were kind of unfairly compared to rush when there's mm. like they, they toured with Rush, yes, they were a trio, they were prog rock, and they were Canadian. I feel like the similarities begin and end there. The actual music itself yes. is very different stylistically. Nothing like it. FM Nothing was much like more synth-heavy starting out, I mean, from the beginning, right? Um, 
you know, this was 77, right? This is around the time yep. Rush is doing Farewell to Kings and maybe writing Hemispheres. And yes, there are synthesizers in both of those Rush records as well. Nothing near as heavy as, as Black Noise, as far as the yeah. utilization of the synthesizers or the very cosmic inspired sounds that that FM was using as opposed to Rush. They had very different sounds to me. And they're a lot groovier slash what I call jam bandy or jam band-esque uh, with their compositions. FM, I mean. So, uh, and this is where I was kind of talking about earlier. Sometimes they kind of meander a bit, they kind of do a jazz rock thing that we're listening to right now, kind of an hours thing. And I wouldn't say that this is necessarily meandering, but there are certain sections and maybe stuff like Black Noise and stuff definitely that I heard on Direct to Disc, the album after this, where it's kind of like, all right, cool, you can all play instruments. I get it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, we heard that with stuff yeah. like like Future Days by Can. Um, yeah, and and uh, I had another example of something we've already covered, but um, but anyways, um, they they have very different form to their songs, very different structure, and so maybe it was because they were unfairly compared to Rush, when people were like, "Hey, this is another Canadian prog rock group. You should see them." And people go in expecting something like Rush, and this is really very different. I don't know. Yeah the only thing that they had in common was really just geography, Hmm. but musically and maybe even the audiences that they were trying to appeal to, not necessarily the band that you would probably want to choose. I don't know. I mean, let me ask you guys this Rogan. Let me ask you this. Who would you have open for rush in 1981 for their moving pictures tour? Who would, who would you think would open for them? Like, or what, what band would you think would open for them? Oh, that's, really hard because i really am not well versed in (laughs) in anything (laughs) past like the like before the 80s um man because all the bands i can think of were sort of like on par with rush at the time so um, yeah like maybe somebody like 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 prism or or like because they're more along the hard rock sort of like yeah uh, pop pop hard rock stream and they're much more similar to rush I guess. Yeah. I don't know, Drew. Like, anybody come to mind that would... I don't know. I'm looking at the Peter Gabriel record you have in the background there. And by this <laughs> point, he was... Yeah, and by this point, he was on his solo career. Right? Peter Gabriel. Yeah. But I, th- I don't think he, that he would open for them because stylistically, he was also very different. I think he was... Yeah. And he had kind of gone in a more... Since departing from Genesis... <sighs> I... I uh, like the first word that comes to mind is commercial, but that's so weird because I, I never want to describe Gabriel's music as such because it's really not. It is and it isn't. Like in your eyes was a big hit, right? But like even that alone just had some really unique elements in there that you didn't hear in a lot of pop music, right? And that's the way Peter Gabriel yeah. has always been. He's been very experimental. Um, I wouldn't even say like in his solo career. I would describe a lot of his his sound as experimental. Um, inclusive, diverse, as opposed to prog, like prog rock. Now, a lot of those elements, you know, can kind of cross over into each other, but the, the word that comes to mind more so is experimental for Peter Gabriel. But anyways, I'm getting off topic here. Who would open for Rush? Um, for their 1981 moving pictures tour. Kind of like a, I don't know. I don't know. Can, well, well, can Rush open for Rush like Dream Theater yeah. has done for like with Nightmare Cinema? Well, yeah, for <laughs> real. And, 
it makes sense. I mean, if we're factoring in the fact that they probably needed someone local because you're not going to get a name like, let's say, yes, they're not going to travel all the way from England sure. to Canada to open for Rush. Yes, this was a big album for Rush. That's probably not going to happen. We're going to have the people like, you know, a, a local group that is already lives here, right? That can travel around that knows the area to do that, right? Uh, to yeah. tour with them. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, all all like travel or geography or anything aside, it's just kind of like who would I want? Who would I want to put in that scenario? Yeah. I don't know. It's that's kind of a difficult question. We'll open that up to to everybody who's listening. Who would you have open for Rush in 1981 for the Moving Pictures tour, or who oh, would you expect? I think we've got a caller. The line, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, we got the line is the line's popping. <laughs> Shoot. You know, I, I I don't know. I think I kind of like the more I listen to this and. I kind of had a, I think I maybe I said this at some point, but I was thinking about this, just thinking about this music. And it's almost like a cousin of Camel and Eloy. I see the comparison to Eloy, especially when we were doing Ocean, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like that, that sort of the, the cosmic vibe of that, but also kind of the, maybe some of the jazzier feel and some of the, the smoothness. That's the one. That's the one that I was talking about. That I, yes. I couldn't remember that. Yeah. I, I Can and Moon Madness is. Yeah, or Eloy. Well, I was thinking Eloy, okay, yeah. Ocean. But yes, I actually, now that you say it, yeah, the Moon Madness I kind of hear too. They kind of have this yeah, jam bandy like, aspect, especially with the last track on 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 Moon Madness with, um, oh, I'm dying now. What is the name of, that, of the last the track? The last song? On Moon Madness. This is going to kill me. Lunar Sea. Lunar Sea. Instead yeah. of Lunacy, yeah. yeah. Uh, which was very clever. I thought that was great. Um, that was good. <clears throat> anyways. Uh, yeah, you said they were a hybrid, you thought of. And what well, you had mentioned earlier, just briefly, we haven't actually discussed, we haven't done that much preparation. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> you had mentioned the comparison to to Brand X. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. I was hearing some of the, I don't know, from the, from the drummer, I guess. Like I could totally see somebody like Phil Collins playing drums for this band. Um, okay. I could also hear somebody totally like Chad Wackerman playing for this band. Okay. Um, yeah, I could totally hear somebody like that guy. Uh, it's very, uh, the fills and the way it's been played, it's very smooth. It's very mechanical. Um, it also has maybe some of that feel of like in the court of the Crimson King drums kind of thing okay. going on there. Kind of, a maybe not like a straight rock thing, but we're kind of pulling some jazz jazz flavor into a rock vibe yeah which is which is at least that's what i hear it a lot in, in the court of the crimson king uh from the drums perspective and, and you got a question the, well i was just gonna say and the tonal shape it, it's it's yes. it's not as um in your face as like a peart drum kit not that i think like peart was just like all like just smash and everything but but he was a rock drummer and very much so you could tell right like yeah Peart's one of my favorites but like the sound of his drums was fairly bombastic. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, he, he, he kind of became known for his huge drum kit and everything. He, and he hit that stuff hard, right? This is, yeah, this is a bit more nuanced. This feels like you were saying a bit more like Phil Collins playing on Genesis or something like that. Or like, you know, the drummer that we heard for, um, I'm forgetting his name. Apologies. Uh, for camel or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it does kind of have a jazz lighter, more nuanced approach to the kit. Um, and yeah, that's something that when you listen to this record, 
don't sleep on the drums. They're they're really really yeah. solid. Um, yeah, especially oh, like I, they, I think they, Rogan was even talking about that drum solo in hours. I think it was yes. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And like the the intro to uh, Black Noise is like two minutes of just drums and like pads, mm-hmm. pretty much. So mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. So. Well, yeah, there's a lot of interesting flavor going on there. I guess I, I, I get like we, we haven't really discussed. I'm curious what what you guys thought of the record in general. We've read reviews of other mm. people and we talked yeah. about how we like the, the drums. Did Rogan overall? Yay, nay, thumbs up, thumbs down. I, I like it. Like this is, is it a minor something... classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a minor classic. Yes. I mean, like it's it's something much like like prism where they had sort of that space rock vibe like synth element synth heavy 100%. uh a sound right from the beginning and that's where i sort of get more into those 70s bands and so it, it is definitely something like i would probably pick it up on vinyl and jam it every now and then and and have the physical copy handy yeah yeah i think for me um overall i i enjoyed it and the more that I've, I, I think the more that I've listened to it, I, th- I think I draw more towards the the A side of the record. Um, there are a couple of moments in there that I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can, some of the riffs and stuff like that that were going on, I really dug and could latch onto because there's a couple, there, a lot of this record is is not, uh, it doesn't have any vocals. Um, I mean, there's there's an entire track that uh, that is instrumental being ours, and um, well, Black Noise also has a long instrumental section. Journey well, also has several. Yeah, Dialing for Dharma and, and Slaughter and Robot Village. Neither of those have vocals either. Yeah, none of those have vocals. Either. So it's it's kind of a there's sort of a blend there. And um, those also bop. Like oh my god, they, yeah, they are kind of. That's do. where I like kind of draw to the B side more. Is just those yeah, two tracks. Do, like bop. oh my it's goodness, it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Kraftwerk just a little bit. Well, with Dialing yeah. for Dharma, but it's so it's good, dude. The inclusion of the of the electric violin on Dialing for Dharma that yeah. is so good because it has this kind of cool, groovy, very simplistic beat to it. To be honest, yep. it's, it is like Kraftwerk. It almost sounds like club music or techno in a sense. Yep. And you've got this awesome violin on top. Mm-hmm. And then they do these really cool, then they kind of get prog in there with the... Then they kind of get into it. But at the beginning, it sounds like, yeah, this is cool techno music. We're at the club and we're dancing. This is so cool, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's I find das it interesting boot. though das from the from like the A side to the B side, you get eight songs, right? And first song, Phasers on Stun, um has vocals. The vocals are catchy. I think it's a catchy song. One o'clock tomorrow, probably my favorite song oh, on the record. Ditto. Perfect combination of kind of that inst- the, the instrumental sections along with the the vocals. I think the vocals are very Beatles-esque. Like some of the harmony things that are going okay. on. They, it just kind of reminds me of that okay um and then you go into hours which is like a complete 180 of the two it is songs because it's not electric mandolin it goes to the violin like a clean violin exactly and it's more very jazzy has the drum solo and it it. has a very gentle giant feel to it as well because of the fiddle and because you know even though it's electric but yeah yep it's got like a buddy rich thing some some drum wise yeah 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 like what is what and then it flips over to journey 
And then Journey has got very heavy synth, although it has some vocals in it, but it's the, the synthesizers, man, are so good. <laughs> they are. The synthesizers on Journey are so good. And then and then it goes into these like instrumental tracks. And honestly, uh, at least for me, I draw more to this to the songs in the album that had the vocals on them. Um, like I really, I, my two probably uh, my three three top three tracks are probably one o'clock tomorrow journey and black noise although there's one section of black noise that drives me insane but those three tracks are, are probably my probably my favorite and, and that, that's uh, kind of funny too because like normally i'm not one to listen to a whole lot of instrumental like rock okay. and metal and stuff uh but like sure. those two songs for me are probably my favorite the dialing for dharma and slaughter and robot village uh, which yeah. is a weird flip for me because I don't know. Like I've told you guys several times that those two tracks just take me to Funky Town every single time I listen. Oh to yeah, them. oh yeah. No, they no. they have. There's a lot of I don't know the way that it's structured and everything is really interesting. But um, it definitely it definitely kind of catches you off guard as you as you continue through the album as you hit enter those uh, um, those instrumental tracks and then you end the whole album with like a ten minute you know instrumental slash i don't know it has a long instrumental section and i think it who was it that said it kind of reminds them of signus x1 me yeah yeah that was in rogan slaughter and, and robot village yeah yes yes which is it like it's funny like it gives me such signus x1 vibes uh and they came out the same year as farewell to king so i like can't help but think that yeah. like maybe hmm. they had like a common influence or something yeah yeah no, yeah. totally. Yeah. I well, it. I mean, we don't know. You're the Canadian. Do you tell us? Yeah, <laughs> no you're supposed idea. to know all things Canada. <laughs> wow. Um, well, it's definitely a prog rock album, and I wanted to kind of specify as to why. Two, two, two things. I won't go into all this, but one of it is it's a very riff-heavy album. Um, oh, yeah. And the arpeggios, too, and I think that that's a defining feature of prog is the riff-laden songs. Um. So, you know, I'm thinking of like the bass riffs and the keyboard riffs and the and we, you know, arpeggios too, which are very heavily used in there as well uh, to make these really big atmospheres, right? Like Steve Hackett did that a lot with, with Genesis. And I hear that a lot with the mandolin in here. It's not a guitar, but it's a stringed instrument and it's electric. Um, so that, and then another thing was the, the, the title track, which is the last track, Black Noise. Yep. has these different movements, which again, is, we've talked yes. about that before. It has... Prog rock is is has these longer songs that have these movements, and that's really the best way to describe it. Or sections where you're like, okay, this is this section, then this is clearly this, this is clearly this, this is moved into here, you know, into here, into here. We so we talked about Slaughter and Robot Village being sort of Cygnus X One vibes, but Black mm-hmm. Noise kind of gives me the hemispheres sort of thing, especially with that like saying. long uh, middle section that is yes. like, sort of like spacey kind of, and ambient. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got from like, you know, the first minute and a half is this kind of building section before it starts into the next stop, you know, part. And then you've got the next part, which lasts until 440 roughly. So the stuff with the lyrics and kind of the groovy and it keeps it moving that gains the momentum and all of that. Uh, and then there's that part that you're talking about, Rogan, with the, it's like 440 to 717. It's this kind of more contemplative part that that kind of meanders a bit. And that's the term I had used earlier. Some of the music kind of kind of meanders. And and Prague can do that in general. But this just kind of, to me, kind of fell more into the category of meandering in the jam band sense. 
uh, if that makes any sense. Um, but, uh, but it's that more ambient part that you're talking about. Um, it kind of reminds me of that section. Okay. You, you mentioned hemispheres, which reminds me of that, but it also reminds me of supper's ready you know, Genesis, that, that big long Epic. Mm. There's that part at like nine fifty where Gabriel's soft vocals are coming in and he's talking about, we watch in reverence as Narcissus turn to a flower, right? And all the, pers- the yep. parts, you know, that, that whole section and beforehand. And then it gets really big with the, a flower, boom, boom, boom. And then it changes to a new section. Um, but um, then those strong scents come in with such an energizing groove at the end of that, at around like that seven minute and 20 second-ish part of, of Black Noise. Um but I love that it kind of builds with those synths rather than everything coming in all at once. It kind of gets the keyboards a time to kind of shine and gets the spotlight. Um, anyways, really, really cool. All of these little movements, you know, and then well, on crud, I think the last section even refers to the melody of a previous section in there as well, which I think is kind of that, that main stuff with the vocals of the minute 30 to 440. Anyways, yeah. mm-hmm. all that to say, all of that, is is not necessarily as long as some stuff that we've covered on here that's like 20 minutes long or 23 minutes. Yeah. It's it's under 10 minutes, but it's 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 getting close. I, I believe it's it's almost at 10 minutes. Um that track. But it's cut up into these sections. And I just wanted to like quickly go through that because that's a a thing about Prague that that you see all the time. So in this genre. Another thing to note as well is that I just I just looked this up, but the Star Wars franchise, A New Hope, oh. was released May twenty fifth, seventy seven. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm thinking of, uh, of course, I know the cultural impact that it had in America. But Rogan, do you have any insight on Star Wars in Canada? Was it was that was that like a I mean, what was going on? I mean, we nerded out on it in terms of the history in the United States and all that. But I just want to know if there was something maybe there with kind of the spacey elements that are going on there. I don't yeah, know. I'm I'm not sure with the uh, like the the 70s in Canada and how that that all all played out there. Um, like, I'm sure there was probably like some residual hype from the states brought up like <laughs> holy crap residual hype <laughs> like it bled across the border or something oh. <laughs> <laughs> no no i think i i i don't have like the the context for the history of of that at at the moment so the other thing too that i was always curious that i was curious about is of course there's uh and correct me if i'm wrong in terms of this, I don't know if Toronto is this way. I know Quebec has more of a French uh, <laughs> kind of culture into it, but I mean, is there any of that that comes into Toronto? Is there any 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 ties between there that could be possibly just you know um, explored? Well, like Toronto is definitely our sort of like arts culture place like there's vancouver but toronto is like the hub like that's where we have like all of our like major opera and stuff and so there's definitely like more it's also like an old town as well so uh like there's a lot more like culture and history there and and uh and yeah like cultures mixing and stuff um so i like uh I think that's why you find like a lot of the uh, the bands that like make it big and the art culture that comes out of Canada's mm. is most often out of Toronto is because there's just that like 
boiling pot of of different things going on in that uh in terms of that that in those influences that are all around interesting so this is kind of everything and anything is going on in, in toronto yeah interesting I was just curious. I didn't know if there was if there was any sort of French ties. We haven't. I haven't dug. I mean, obviously, you know, there's magma and all of that, but I have not dug into uh, any of the French ties mm-hmm. that are going on. Drew, it looks like you have you're, you're thinking pretty hard over there. Is I'm, there? I'm some not. That... I'm I'm waiting for our our new segment. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. I, anyways, well, oh, like, but, but I think I, but... more when you when you get closer to Ottawa, like on the Ontario uh, Quebec border, that's where like a lot of the French stuff comes in. But there's there's got to be like some bleed over of of culture into that because Toronto's yeah. not too far from that either. Right. Like I, I think they're they're closer to New York, so I think that's where like there's sort of that cultural overlap. Got it. Huh. Okay. Just curious. Thanks, Canadian. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot! That's what, I, that's what I'm here for. So bad. Yeah. <laughs> Reducing his entire identity. Down. And uh, and joining us for our historical reference for Canada is Rogan Myth Andrews. Thank you, Rogan, for joining us. Here on Black Noise, 77 FM. <laughs> <laughs> shoot. I can't. Okay, all right. Let's jump into our uh, our new prog note segment that we're introducing with uh, with this episode. Uh, Drew, would you like to would you like to uh, introduce it to everybody? <clears throat> this is get busy with the facts. Okay. Um. Uh, so I I just I, I, <laughs> is like wait I I need to hear Drew do the full rap right now. <laughs> oh, you know I wish I knew all of it. I think. I can guide you through it. <laughs> no, I know all of no, it. That's not what it was. <laughs> that's not what it was. Marcus is, he sent us a video one time of his mother reading it off the phone. And it made me laugh. He was like in a car and, you know, she's got to be in her, I think, mid, mid 50s, maybe late 50s. And she just has her phone up and they're on like a road trip. And I just see he's filming his mom reading, Jack, relax. Get busy <laughs> with the facts. You zodiacs are all relaxed. I just, I, I, I lost it. I lost That's it. That's hilarious. That's amazing. So, uh, get busy with the facts is a a fun facts segment on Prognotes that we're introducing. We found a lot of fun, interesting facts about this record and other things adjacent to this record. And so, uh, here, let's just start vomiting fun facts. Well, everybody. here we go. Uh, there's one that I don't think I told you about, Destin. I thought it would oh. be fun. The the song Aldebaran, right? This is such mm. a, a yes. Uh, a cosmic album and they lean into that right they they yes, really they do. do and uh that is is it's the brightest star in the constellation taurus aldebaran um hmm. and it is also known as the eye of taurus so we're talking about constellations and astrology here all right uh this and it kind of reminds me of of aristolus on moon madness by camel go check that hmm. episode out um that they named Aristolus, you know, a track Aristolus, which is the name of a crater on the, the moon. Yep. Yep. So, um, the name Aldebaran could totally be mispronouncing that. And if there is anyone who speaks Arabic, because apparently that's where it's derived from, or anyone who is a cosmologist or, you know, astronomer or whatever, feel free to correct me. <laughs> uh, it means that name, though, Aldebaran means the follower, because it appears to follow the Hyades. Hiatus 
uh, star cluster that forms the head of the bull. At 65 light years away, the star is practically a neighbor to Earth. Its apparent magnitude is about 0.85. Don't know what that means. Making it the 14... I, I guess that's how they measure... It's some measure of luminosity, I'm guessing, of brightness. Is about 0.85, making it the 14th brightest star in the night sky. Interesting. I'm, you know, I just thought that was fun. I thought that was cool that they named it that. I don't mm-hmm. think it has any actual <laughs> meaning. <laughs> it isn't the 14th song on the album, I'll tell you that much. No, and I don't want to detract too much from the segment because we're still in the segment. We'll go back to the the whole, like, is this a concept album or not? It's, spoiler alert, I don't think it is. No, it's not. Ow. Anyways, I... <laughs> It's like, why would you name it that? Is that like some story that... No, I, I honestly think it's just they, they were really leaning into the whole cosmic rock thing and I thought that was fun. Uh, but yeah. still along the same line of the whole cosmic rock thing, black noise, what does that mean? Well, this is the fun fact. Um, black noise is an informal term to describe a lack of sound, right? I'm sure you guys have heard the term white noise before, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, black noise is the absence of sound. Uh, because white noise is supposed to include all audible frequencies, supposedly. Right. So makes sense. Black, the opposite of white, um, and so that's no sound. So uh, the title fits well with the whole space motif that they're going on, sci-fi. The whole you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. Uh, but you know, the, the, you know, there's no medium for sound to travel through, so you can't really hear anything. So I thought yeah. that was actually kind of cool when you think about black noise. Was I mean, and it makes sense that this album is kind of space themed because of that. So. Um, and it's very artsy because it's like, is black noise really not music? Because we also have, right, the John Cage composition, the 20th century mm-hmm. American composer, uh, for 433, right? I'm sure you guys have heard yep. of this. Yep. Anyone who doesn't, this was a, a composition um, by John Cage in the 20th century. Uh, yeah, that's that's real specific, isn't it? In a whole yeah. hundred years. A whole hundred years there. He's a 20th century composer. And and yeah. this, this composition is complete silence. That's the whole point. He would go on stage in front of a piano and he would just, he would not play anything. And when he first did this, I think he did it for four minutes and 33 seconds. 33 seconds. There's actually, he, there's actually notes on the score though. And, and all they are is ooh. telling the person that between three movements, he's supposed to stand up, close the piano lid and then open it again. Interesting. Seriously? Thank you for adding that to get busy with the facts. I did not know that. Um, and I know that people okay. have done different iterations or, or versions of this where they will take liberties with this and kind of do their own thing of of standing at a different time or closing the lid of the of the piano. Or I saw one the other day where someone had a timer as if they were timing. And there was a beep, right? He would consistently just go... Yep. <laughs> as if he's starting the timer over again. And the like an alarm never went off, but every now and then, obviously what you're hearing in the background is just the sound of the room, basically room yeah. tone, right? People coughing, the sound of the AC running in the background, whatever. But every now and then you would hear someone getting up from their chair or a chair rocking or this guy beeping his timer. Anyways, the whole idea is like, you know, John, John Cage is famously quoted by saying, everything we do is music. So... Anyways, that could totally not be what had those thoughts may not have gone at all through Cameron Hawkins head or Nash the Slash or who is it? Martin. Forgive me. Martin Deller. Thank you. Deller. 
Yeah. But I thought that was some interesting parallels there. Okay. Back to some other fun facts. We thought it'd be fun to dive into sonic hues. So, like I said, there's black noise, there's white noise, and there is, in fact, everything in between. Um, We won't go through all of them because that would be so exhaustive. And you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between most of these anyways. Um, (laughs) So, other hues that are quite actually prevalent in, 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 in today uh, is white noise, pink noise, and brown noise. So white noise includes all, like I said, all audible frequencies. Energy is equally distributed across these frequencies, unlike pink energy noise. Um, we'll stay on, on white for now. Uh, the equal yeah. distribution creates a steady humming sound. And people, people know this. I don't know why I'm over explaining this. You've heard the term white noise with a whirring fan, right? Or radio or television static, the hiss of a radiator, humming air conditioner, right? Um, Since white noise contains all frequencies at equal intensity, it can mask loud sounds that stimulate your brain. That's why it's often recommended for sleeping difficulties and sleep disorders like insomnia. And I have to admit- I just listen to you guys to sleep. I have, oh, (laughs) shots are fired. Shade. It's from. we deserve it though. We've been leaning way too much into the whole Canada thing. Um <laughs> it's like it's true. Uh we totally deserve that. Um but I'll be honest, I, I, I have to have a fan when I go to sleep. I mean, I don't have to, I will eventually go to sleep, but I, I sleep with a fan next to me humming because I white noise has become like part of my my habitual sleep routine is turning on the fan. <laughs> yeah, there um, you go. Pink noise is deeper than white noise slightly in its in its frequency that you'll hear. Um, it's it's like white noise but with a bass rumble. Um, yep, in, in, a little bit more of a boost in the lower frequency. Yes, and in recent years, pink noise, which you know some of the sounds in nature that you know mimic this are ocean waves, falling rain, or rustling leaves. That has become, quote unquote, the darling of the noise spectrum, uh, <laughs> nice. upstaging nice. white noise as the preferred sound option for sleep. Southern darling. Yeah. That's exactly. Yep. Um, and finally, again, there are different hues in here as well. Um, we have, oh, I forgot we have two more. We have brown noise. Otherwise also, known as red. Also called red noise. Yep. Has a higher energy at lower frequencies, much a deeper sound. So a low roaring, like a really strong waterfall or very frequently and very common thunder, right? Something like that. Um, anyways, the last one I wanted to talk about is really funny because why would anyone voluntarily listen to this? Uh, blue noise. This is the high frequency sound. This is the stuff that makes the dog's head turn. Um, <laughs> nice. It lacks low frequencies and it's opposite of brown noise, which has an energy decrease of negative three decibels per octave uh it's more mid-range and high range (laughs) um it sounds like what is it what do they say here air or water spray or perhaps i think this is the most apt description fine grain or mineral pouring into like a truck or something like that huh so i have a clip i will the brace yourselves for the blue noise because blue noise is high frequency and to me that's not appealing i need some lower frequencies uh in there as well but uh yeah destin we have an audio file uh, i'll say Take the order of this is blue noise white pink and brown right we're going from okay. high down to low got it here we go
Hmm. Oh, yeah. It's kind of nice. We've got pink coming in here. Definitely sounds like an ocean to me. Who came up with this stuff? And now we've got brown noise. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why the names? Who, who came up with these names? I, I can't tell you that, Destin. A couple of years ago, I could have told you because I was in an acoustics class, but I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> so uh, someone on YouTube, when they were listening to, to these comparisons, actually said, to me, white noise sounds like heavy rain, pink noise sounds like waterfalls, and brown noise sounds like the ocean. I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. I think I think that's brown pretty, ocean mm. makes sense. Yeah, brown and ocean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess side by side, that's what he thought. Um, and honestly, you probably couldn't hear the difference between all of these unless you heard them back to back like we just did. Um, sure. But uh, anyways, I thought that was interesting. Just the, the name of the album Black Noise uh, had me go into this whole rabbit hole. And now everyone knows. And everybody knows Yay. about Sonic Hughes. If you didn't Sonic know about Sonic Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. Sonic Hughes. Here, here's my fun fact that I have for you guys. I found an original CBC copy of this album that was for sale online. Oh, and dang. it was going for $1,300. Whoa. US dollars. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to figure out the translation for that in terms it's of like the Canadian. 1600 1600 16 yeah. to 13. 17 maybe there was only 500 of these that were made you gotta think about yeah. that but still yeah just that's, well, that's a, like uh the moon records rush album mm, oh my yeah, gosh like, yeah. there were only like yeah 500 or something made of those yep that, yep yeah, yeah, that's and man, now that's are... that's expensive. Mm-hmm. I bet that's gonna yeah. be expensive. Here's here's my other here's my other. This is not even a fun fact. This is just something that I thought was funny. You know, Cameron Hawkins. Okay, he was born in 1951. Now, Cameron, eh, that don't that don't sound like an old guy's name. Is that no. <laughs> don't sound like an old guy? I mean, I, I'm thinking you're going back to way back, going to back episode six. We were talking about Justin Hayward yeah, from the I Moody Blues. This. Yeah, yep. And we were just kind of yeah. like Justin. This doesn't Justin seem like an old guy's kind of name. No. <laughs> It doesn't, doesn't sound like a name like... that would be in the 60s, the 1960s. No, no. I, I mean, this, you know, this guy is born in 51, right? What are popular names that are, you know, 1950? James, I don't know. Hubert. Robert, David, Thomas, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> I, I don't know. Cameron? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. That's, that's a Hank, maybe? maybe? Hank? Hank? Maybe that's not, yeah, maybe a Hank. 1951. Who knows? Maybe it's Cameron. More com- maybe it's more common in Canada. <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe it is. You want to? You want to ask me, Drew? You want to ask me? Uh, hey, Rogan. Uh, <laughs> how many Camerons do you know? Uh, just one from high school. <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Oh man! Wow. Uh, anyway, well, I that's, wanted that's to- my little fun fact about that right there. That's not even a fun fact. That's it's not a fun funny. fact. That's just it's a, a funny fact. Fu- it's a funny <laughs> observation. Seinfeld? No? Anyone? Okay. Mm. Yeah, no. Then. Well, I got two facts <laughs> before we go on. Oh, this Rogan's action. got two facts. Yeah. So, um, there's this, like, little fan-made, like, sort of history, like, interview page thing with a bunch of photos and stuff. And, like, one of the first things is, like, FM debuts in concert at the Art Gallery A-Space, which, 
uh, Destin touched on at the very beginning in Toronto, Ontario during November 25th to 27th in brackets. Other performances in this series include an emerging New York band called Talking Heads. Oh my goodness. What? Isn't that a big name? Like, and they say emerging New York band Talking Heads. Whoa. What? This is at their so, first like, live they, performance at that art gallery? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And they like both sort of like this was their kick yeah. to get going. When was this? What the heck? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's big. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's interesting. Like Psycho Killer yeah. and Burning Down the House. And yep. Well, when was this written? 77. Uh, or no, that was 76 was what their... Um, their um, the, when this concert was before this album. So they would just have gotcha. like three songs or something. But like, this is a fairly new like website blog thing. Uh, it's called Black oh. Noise, the FM archive. Interesting. And it just has a breakdown on history and, and stuff. And like a, an interview with Cameron and like photos and stuff and all their albums. And see, that's so cool. You have so many like resources on the Canadian internet that we don't have. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It must be your VPN or something. <laughs> oh, is that Canadian too? What's it? <laughs> oh my goodness. But the other thing is uh, that Nash the Slash, uh, he has numerous instruments and costumes that I have actually seen in person because they were donated to the National Music Center here in Calgary after his death in 2014. So like it must have oh, been wow. some of the like the first items acquired for the new building because it was like the building was only built in like 2013 after there was the big flood in Calgary. Um, and so like it, when I was looking at uh, pictures of the band and like from their sort of later years and Nash the Slash, like he definitely looked so familiar to me, like with the head wrap and the white suit and stuff. And I just mm-hmm. did not know why. And like, now I know. Interesting. That's funny. Wow. Thanks for those yeah. two facts. Moving on forward through. You wanted to talk about uh, the uh, the fact of I, the, just not being a concept I album. Thought, like I, I had seen a couple of people online say something. They mentioned something concept album, and I was like, what, "Okay, so what? 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 Sure, yeah. Like what are you I was talking like, about? Yes, you have the space kind of theme, but that's it, and that's kind of just their sound. That's not a like a concrete concept. Like what are you talking about? Not really. Um." And like mm. lyrically, is there anything that like connects these songs even? Because even with the whole Jethro Tull Aqualung thing that we were talking about, like at least that had a couple of songs in there where it was like, yeah, there is a lot of like religious subtext in here or direct text, like like directly in the lyrics. You know what I mean? So, or the title of the song or whatever. And he's referencing that. So like, at least there's that. With this, okay, I, I guess you could in the same vein argue that there's like it relates to space in some way mm-hmm. kind of it's but themes, kind not of a, not i don't know um I, I mean like really the only thing that has any sort of like narrative thread that i would say is one o'clock tomorrow it kind of has a story it's like people preparing to leave earth and inhabit different worlds i, I mean all the baron kind of has that too there's like a section in there where it's like holds are filled with men waiting to leave the port type of deal Hmm. But like, I don't know. Go take a look at the lyrics here. There's nothing really. There's no protagonist. 
other than the fact that you kind of get space sounds from the music mm-hmm. and a couple of space themes. Okay. But I was trying to figure out what some of the songs were about. I have to share this. So apparently Wikipedia knows, because of course. Um, Why would they not know? Take this with a grain of salt, not only because it's Wikipedia, but because you know how at the bottom of Wikipedia, you can check the references, right? That they use to write the article. Exactly. Right? Um, I, I checked these references. None of them talk about the themes, concept, or lyrics of this album. I, I was <laughs> trying to, I was, because there's, it's not a long, there aren't that many references for this album because this isn't as popular as something like Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band or, you know, one of these huge records. Um, so I checked these references. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm fact checking them. For all of you. Um, I'm not sure where the writer got their intel, but let's take a look at this. This is what it says. All songs with lyrics have science fiction themes. The title Phasers on Stun, sometimes announced as Set Your Phasers on Stun, when performed live, is a reference to the futuristic weapons from Star Trek. The phrase does not appear in the lyrics. Okay. One O'Clock Tomorrow was inspired by an interview with Timothy Leary as broadcast on The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder, which came on at 1 o'clock a.m., on which Leary talked about his ideas on space travel. Or as explained by Hawkins in an introduction to the song during a live performance from a radio broadcast, old Dr. Tim thought, a couple of bags of this and a couple of bags of that, and he'd just take off into outer space. What? Okay. What? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. okay. But again, neither the title nor Leary are referenced in the lyrics. Journey and Aldebaran, sorry, I'm reading here, misspelled as, and then it has this weird spelling of it, which is the spelling that we got when we were looking this up. I don't understand that. On vinyl editions. I don't know. They're both about a mass exodus to another planet. I mean, again, you kind of get that from Aldebaran. I don't really see it in Journey. Um, dialing for Dharma, an instrumental, is a pun on Dialing for Dollars, a popular live daytime television program which gave away cash prizes via telephone. Iyer, oh, wow, why can't I talk? Hours and Slaughter in Robot Village are also instrumentals. Thanks, Wikipedia. Black Noise is about mutants who live in a secret <laughs> underground world beneath a city and rise up through the sewers at night. So... Um, we got a lot going on. Yeah, a lot going on, but a lot. Can we just say that there's a science fiction motif yeah, going on here? But it's all can we just disparate, say that? Right? This is no. There's mm-hmm. no connecting thread really between these di- these different lyrics and concepts. So, anyways, just so you know, it's not yeah. conceptual. Thanks for doing the research I, on that. I mean, yeah, I I never really had welcome. a thought of that. I just thought that there was just the you know. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're using some similar sounds here. Sounds like there could be a possible concept underneath the works. No. no yeah. No, dude. They just use. No. There is like yeah. some yeah. sort of subjectivity to like the term concept album too. Uh, like yeah. I, I know like one that True. comes to mind is like Sky Harbor released their Guiding Lights album, and like it is a concept album, even though it's not like a, a narrative from one point to the other. It's just that uh, Dan Tompkins, the vocalist uh, like wrote all those, uh, all the lyrics as sort of like letters to his newborn son. 
and interesting like there's that concept that's going on there so he's he's still like talking about life and uh and new life and like all of that stuff and like his confrontations with being a father then but it's not a narrative but there is that theme of like fatherhood right in there yeah so this and you could say you can make an argument for that like it's the space element is what ties it all together into like a concept but yeah yeah it is kind of like disparate yeah yeah because concept and style you're you know stylistically speaking here it's kind of like okay this is this is just stylistically the album that we went for versus conceptually is the album we're going for it's like is there is the only thing that's separating the two intention right Mm -hmm. no it's it's a good question yeah i looked at the the lyrics of this record and i was like i don't i don't see anything connecting this i also don't don't see any lyrics that particularly stand out to me as well-written lyrics. No offense. And maybe that they won't take offense to that because it's, it's, that's not their thing. Um, who knows? But yeah, I mean, you know, they're not bad. It's not like, Oh, I'm like cringing reading this. It's just kind of like, okay. Like mm-hmm. I like the vocals on this. You're, 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 you know, this is solid vocal melody. This is good. This is real catchy. Yeah, I mean, what you're they saying have some is good, just catchy, catchy vocal. What you're melodies. saying is what they're saying just doesn't doesn't have like, very much whatever. substance. That's all. It's just not very substantive. So yeah, anyways. which makes it a minor classic. Which <laughs> <laughs> yes. And on that note, I don't think there's anything else much left to say. I could I could tell you uh, one little quote that a guy did. Uh, he, he was it was the end of a review. He wrote an end of, end, end of a review, and he just said, you know, to sum up this whole thing, let me just give you everything here. And I think this could be a, a good way to sum up the episode unless anybody else has anything to say. No, go but, for it. Uh, this is what he said. Mixing cold mechanical instrumentation with the sizzle of keyboards, FM played an irregular style of progressive music that sounded isolated and pleasantly hollow. Even the warmth of Cameron Hawkins' voice can't take away the harshness in the sound which is why this album portrays mood so effectively. Phasers on stun sounds like it's sung from the blackness of space with piercing laser blasts shooting through the body of the song. Ours is a stellar array of synth drums and quote effects that musically casts an image of time travel while Slaughter and Robot Village uses glockenspiel, electric violins, and mandolin to illustrate a battle between gigantic metal beasts. I don't see that, but whatever. Nash the Slash uses his voice and his violins to conjure up a science fiction motif that is convincing through all eight songs. FM's music relies on loose structure, small surges of numerous instruments to create a large sound. Black Noise is a prime example of how well instruments can be used to convey, shape, and utilize imagery. thought that was just nice, nice little bow on top of it. Oh, and by the way, it's a minor classic. Shoot. <laughs> going to add that onto his review right there anyway we would like to thank everybody who is listening for joining us on our podcast these are our prog notes for black noise rogan thanks again for joining us for all of your canadian knowledge really appreciate (laughs) it and uh, hey everybody who's listening be sure to go and follow the new spotlight feed rogan will be coming in with all kinds of different interviews once again with new older bands from all over the world it's it's pretty awesome so go and support him listen to what he's got going on i'll be devastated if you don't he will be. He will be. And there, 
There are plenty of ways that you can support the show. If you guys would like to, you can become a special Prognotes patron at patreon.com slash prognotes to get access to some extra benefits outside of our episodes. But also just leaving us a review on the episode will help get algorithm get it to more people. And we would greatly appreciate it as well. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook. You can join our Discord or hit that classic subscribe button to never miss any of the episodes. You can find the link to that in the description of the episode. And uh, before we move on and before we close out, Drew, why don't you just let us know what record we are checking out next on Prognotes episode 47. What is it? That will be Blumyud by Moon Safari. We're going to check out some, some Moon Safari. So join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. We will see you guys on Discord. Thanks. Thanks.